Welcome to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. I'm your host, Megan McCorkle. This podcast series features conversations with leaders and innovators having a positive impact in our city. Let's get started. Your journey starts here. New leaders at the helm in Baltimore City. Mayor Brandon Scott and Council President Nick Mosby are familiar faces in Baltimore politics, now taking on new roles. We'll go one-on-one with both of them to talk about the challenges the city faces, their top priorities, and how they'll work together to accomplish them. Mayor Brandon Scott, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Megan. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So you are, of course, a very familiar face in Baltimore politics, serving many years on the city council. So what can you do in the mayoral position that's different than what you did on the council? Wow. A lot, Megan. I think that I am very appreciative of the citizens of Baltimore, of those in the second district in particular, that allowed me to first be on the city council and then, of course, become president. But when you're the mayor, uh, you're the executive. Right now, I get to actually enforce all of those great laws that we were doing and actually put more executive action into place. I don't have to ask anymore if I want the city to have a coordinated violence reduction strategy amongst all agencies. I will direct the agencies to do that. When I want the city to be more accountable and transparent, I will make sure that we're opening up the city government to make sure that we're sharing data, that we're communicating with the public more, that we are following guidelines and putting things in place that can rebuild trust with city government. When you talk about running the city more like a business, I now have already hired a city administrator who's going to put those things into place, right? If we're going to have a focus on youth and making sure that there's more opportunity, I, as the mayor, can just direct the agencies to do that so that we're completely focusing on all Baltimore residents, making sure the city is operating and functioning in the best interest of all of them. City administrator is a position that you really championed when you were on the council and now has become a reality now that you are mayor. Tell me, what is that position for people who don't understand what the administrator would do as opposed to what the mayor does? That's a great question. So when you think about it like this, and this is how I like to explain it to Baltimoreans, think about your city as a $3.5 billion entity or business. You will not find a $3.5 billion business where the chief executive officer, who the mayor would be that, is also the chief operating officer, or the chief administrative officer. It does not exist. Baltimore was a city that was operating like that, that the mayor was doing both roles, right? But when you think about it like this, when I ask a resident of Baltimore, hey, do you think the city should continue to operate its government the way it has, at least for the 36 years that I've been alive? Or do you think the city should operate its government more like Baltimore County or Howard County or Montgomery or Washington, D.C. or Philadelphia? They always say B, like those other governments. And Megan, every one of those governments, all the governments and counties surrounding us, the cities that we sit in between in D.C. and Philadelphia, all operate like this. The mayor is the chief executive. The mayor directs the agencies, directs people what to do, sets the vision. The city administrator or the county administrator in the county's cases are someone that works for that mayor. That is a qualified person, not like we've had in the past here in Baltimore, someone's friend who doesn't even have to have a background of being able to operate a $3.5 billion entity or something similar to it, someone they went to school with. No, 
this person has to have certain qualifications and standards, and they have to be able to operate the city government. That person will be the person dealing with the operational side of city government under my direction. I will be able to hire and fire that person. That person is not taking a responsibility for me or power, but it's just about making sure that people are doing things that they should do that allows me as the mayor like all of our counties surrounding us and the city surrounding us to focus on the high level things to getting the city where to where we need to be. What are some of those first things you want that administrator to be really focused on that you think are broken in Baltimore? Well, first and foremost, the city administrator, Chris Short, is going to be helping us finish building out the team, right? We know, for example, here in Baltimore, we need to hire the best Department of Public Works directors so that we can, one of the things he has to do, he knows that he has to fix the water bill system once and for all. Help us as we restore recycling in the city and move towards zero waste. Making sure that our city agencies are operating in the 21st century, making, making sure that we're getting away from paper timesheets so we can save a lot of taxpayer dollars, making sure that we're looking at every program that we have through a lens of equity, making sure that we're holding our police department and other agencies accountable for how crime reduction has happened. Every single thing that we do, he will be driving through data and accountability on metrics on what they're doing to increase their ability to serve the citizens of Baltimore. One of the challenges that you'll face going forward, and certainly probably not something you could have planned for when you were running for mayor, is that we are in the middle of a global pandemic. That's an emergency right now, but it also will be emergency a year or two from now when we see the financial repercussions of that. What are you doing to prepare Baltimore for what we could potentially see financially in the next year or two? Well, we, we know, Megan, that we're seeing that financial impact right now. And we hope that we are able to come out of this as now the vaccine is coming in. It won't last to two or three year period that we originally thought. But we know that we've seen some of the impacts happening in Baltimore City right now where we can see that our budget, we know we had a shortfall. We thought originally last year was going to be a $40 million shortfall. It ended up being 14. We know that there's going to be another shortfall this year. The great thing, Megan, is that going back to our work on the council, we did a 10-year fiscal plan that allowed us to be in a better position than we are. But we also know, and I'm going to communicate always open and honestly with the residents of Baltimore, that this is going to be a trying fiscal time and that we're going to have to make sure that our agencies are utilizing their dollars in the right way. They're going to have to be tough decisions about cuts and things that have to happen. But we're also going to go fight and work and make sure that our federal partners are coming to the table, that we are going to them. Hopefully, they're able to put uh, more support out for cities as well to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to make our city the best place it can be financially. You talk about federal partners. The previous White House administration had some choice words for what uh, they called Baltimore. How is it important to you to work with the new White House administration um, when it comes to serving the city of Baltimore? Well, listen, we are extremely excited about the Biden-Harris administration. And we know that they're going to believe in cities. We know that it's going to be great to have an administration that understands that COVID is real and it's not a hoax. And we're going to be working with them through our great federal delegation that we have here in Baltimore City to make sure that we're getting the support that we need. We're excited because we know the vice president actually had her campaign office here in Baltimore. So we know we have a special place in her heart. We know we have a special place in President Biden's heart as well from his time as vice president, right? And his time riding Amtrak through 
our great city through all those years when he was serving the state of Delaware. We are looking forward to working with our federal partners because we know this administration is going to be making those investments into transportation and infrastructure for cities, helping cities bridge the digital divide, thinking about reimagining what a criminal justice looks like, but also getting off the sidelines as the federal government and investing in our cities to help us directly deal with the impacts of COVID. I have a similar question when it comes to state government. Um, you know, Governor Hogan has in the past cut funding to Baltimore. He's been critical of Baltimore mayors. He's already second-guessed some of your decision-making when it went into COVID. How do you plan on working with the governor as we try and move Baltimore forward? Yeah, listen, I've always had a working relationship with Governor Hogan and, and plan to continue that. Uh, but what we will do is always communicate, right? Uh, the governor and I disagree on the COVID thing. Obviously, we get the advice both from Johns Hopkins. You saw that Johns Hopkins stood with me when I made those announcements and said it was the right thing to do. I'm going to follow the science. There will be times when the governor and I disagree and we'll have those disagreements and that will not carry over into the next decision or the next issue. There are going to be times when we agree. What the citizens of Baltimore can understand about me, Megan, is that I don't care about political party. I care about right or wrong for Baltimore. When he's right, I'll say he's right. When he's wrong, I'll say he's wrong. And we will work together to make our city a better place because Maryland will only be the best version of itself when Baltimore is the best version of itself. You're in a unique position when it comes to working within the city with the city council, having been a longtime member of the city council. How vital is that relationship specifically between you and the council president as you try and accomplish what you have on your agenda to accomplish for Baltimore? Yeah, listen, we know that we are going to rise or fall together as a city. This is not the time at this critical junction in the city for folks to be thinking in a political manner. The great thing for us is that the council president and I came on to the council together and we actually sat in a row with our new controller. We know of the work. If you think about the new wave of council members, the council president and I were the ones who broke that glass ceiling that started that rush of younger people coming in and having those relationships and being through some of the tough things that all of us have been through together will allow us to communicate. Yes, there will be disagreements, but will allow us to work with each other to move the city forward, to push each other, to move Baltimore forward. Iron shopping sharpens iron, and we all will work together to make our city a better place. We're looking at 2021 now. You have a long list of things you really want to accomplish. When we're ringing in 2022, what do you hope you'll have been able to cross off that list? Nothing happens fast, but um, what are some of those top priorities for you that you hope to accomplish in a short time? Hopefully, Megan, first and foremost, we've been able to see the city through COVID and starting to come out on the other side. But also, we've been able to fully stand up the best team for Baltimore. We started that already, but we know we're going to have to get a great DPW director, a great housing director, a great equity and civil rights director, so that we can start to handle the issues. And we know what those issues are. We Hopefully, at the beginning of 2022, we will start to fully implement a total and complete comprehensive violence reduction strategy so that we can see as we're going into 2022, violence in Baltimore going down. We've been able to do the great things about fixing the water bill system and putting those things in place and also just building the foundation. We talk about this as foundation building to make Baltimore's best place. I'm coming into a city government that is completely and utterly broken. We have to build it anew 
And that starts at building the foundation blocks. And that's what we're going to be doing. I have one last question for you that I've been asking a lot of people is this is a really hard time for a lot of people. And they're looking to leaders for hope. There's a lot of people who are out of work, a lot of people who've been sick or had family members get sick. What makes you hopeful and what can you say to bring hope to other people here in Baltimore? Uh, What makes me hopeful, Megan, is the people of Baltimore. When I talk to them, even in this tough and trying time, the excitement that they have that Baltimore will be better and that we know and that they know that we can only do that together. Knowing and seeing what people have done to lift up their neighbors, knowing people who have given their neighbors groceries, who have took their neighbors' kids into their home to help them virtual learn because they cannot miss work to help their children do that. That's what gives me hope because whenever people doubt Baltimore throughout our history, we always prove them wrong and we're going to do it again as we come out the other side of this. Well, you know, I could talk to you forever, but we only have a few minutes. So thank you so much. The good news is we have several more years of your term and hopefully you'll come back on the show. So Mayor Brandon Scott, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Sidewalk Services is expanding across Baltimore. Starting January 11th, you can pick up library materials contact-free at 21 Pratt locations. Books, hotspots, Chromebooks, and more. Details at prattlibrary.org. We're joined by Council President Nick Mosby now. Council President, thank you so much for being with us. No, thank you so much for having me on today. So you have been in the position just a short time now and have already taken a lot of actions. You've reduced the number of committees uh, with the council. You're trying to restructure um, staffing. So talk to me about what are some of these first things you're doing and how you think they will make the council more effective. Well, you know, I think that it's really important for the city council to be in line with good governance practices. So in comparison, in Annapolis, in the House, there's 141 members and six committees. Well, when I got to the city council, there was 15 members and um, 13 committees, right? So, you know, some committees only had like three members. So what we wanted to do was like streamline the process, develop more robust, more productive engagement and dialogue about really serious issues that are impacting our residents. So there's a smaller number of committees, but larger numbers inside of those committees to allow for the debate, to allow for that discussion. I think that when you are able to develop a collective voice, be it the same ideologies or not, that you kind of come out with a better product. Uh, And that was the point of of grouping the the committees the way that we group them, uh, as well as increasing the numbers on the committees. You're also looking to um, restructure the office of council president. Why are some of the reasons you feel like that's important moving into the future? Well, I mean, many people would probably be frightened by this point, but there is not one financial analyst inside of the legislative body. And Baltimore City is the only big city out there like that. Your most local, uh, definitely state legislators and certainly federal kind of have individuals that sit there and really project out the financial impact of bills based off of the bills that are proposed and passed to kind of identify any unintended consequences. Um, Sometimes something could sound like the best idea, but have so much financial impact on our city that we maybe will want to take a different perspective. And I say that because, you know, right now in the midst of COVID, 
we know it's going to greatly impact our local economy and definitely city government. It's important for us to efficiently and effectively spend every single dollar. And you cannot do that without having real analysis in place. So again, I think that just the point that we're the only major city in America that does not have a financial oversight with the legislation that we're being proposed is something that I definitely want to get away from. Do you feel like that's more pivotal now that in this coming year that the council is going to have more control over budget? And can you explain to me for people that don't know how that is going to work going forward, how the council's role in the budget has changed this coming year? That's a great question, Megan. So the city council, the former city council passed a bill to basically provide the city council with not only the power to remove from the budget that comes down from the administration, but then also redirect those funds. So that passed out of the city council overwhelmingly. And then the voters in this past election uh, for the charter change passed it by close to like 75%. So in the past, the city council could only take away from the budget, but they couldn't actually identify places to redirect them. And back to my earlier point about having financial analysts, it's really important that we are making these decisions not based off of emotion, but really based off of data. And, you know, I constantly say, unfortunately, I'm an electrical engineer by trade. I enjoy numbers and data and science. And, you know, when we're making these huge policy decisions, which really should be the prescriptions to the ills of our city, it should be done based off of evidence, based off of fact, based off of data. And you cannot do that if if you don't have access to that data, if you don't have folks that are constantly crunching those numbers and you're not developing reports around supporting the moves and decisions that we're making. I often said when I was a reporter that I wish I had a law degree, an economics degree. There were a lot of different degrees that would have been very helpful (laughs) in that profession. Um, You touched on coronavirus and uh, certainly that is an emergency right now and it will be an emergency a few years from now. Um, when we talk about the financial impact, when we talk about the right now, what are some of the top priorities as far as health and as far as businesses? Because a lot of businesses have been hurting for this entire year. I mean, when you talk about a global pandemic, and and probably I know from me in my lifetime, this is the most traumatic collective type of experience that I've seen, but it's really across the board. I think a lot of times it's easy for us to kind of focus on the health disparities, because they're so ever-present, they're there, we kind of see it, we, we see the numbers and we kind of feel it. But, you know, I think there was a report that was just recently released about the increase of suicide rate, particularly among African-Americans and those in challenging socioeconomic conditions. And we kind of understand and know that it's directly tied to issues like poverty. When we talk about like education, you know, the digital divide is real. And I don't think it could be ever more present than it is right now in the midst of this global pandemic, uh, where we've had children who have been out of school since March. And, you know, what are we doing to try to ensure that, one, they're not in vulnerable situations, that they have access to the Internet? Because we know 40% of our residents do not have access to the internet. When we talk about food insecurity, you know, people are hungry. Uh, When we talk about rent and mortgage, the potential for rent and mortgage crisis. I mean, after this year, a lot of things that were put in place kind of go away. You know, will we see a foreclosure issue like we saw when the real estate bubble burst back in 08? So, Mm. you know, I think that there's so many different challenges that we're faced with 
that we have to, again, kind of going back to my, my engineer background, utilize data and utilize evidence-based solutions to kind of tackle these things. If we do not, if we're kind of going off our gut, if we're kind of going off emotion, I am very fearful that we will miss huge opportunities to really protect you know, our residents in a way that the city needs to. So again, that's why I'm just pushing this idea of in the time of crisis, you can't utilize your emotion. You must utilize data. And that's the type of city that we need to promote from a government perspective. And that's definitely the type of council that, you know, I want to preside over. Yeah, COVID in so many ways has really laid bare all the problems that we knew were there and just exacerbated them and made them 10 times worse. It just feels like a mountain. So what can you do in the short term to start chipping away at that mountain? So I think whenever you look at any crisis or problem, I think the first thing we must do is protect our most vulnerable. And I think the most vulnerable individuals right now are clearly our children and our elderly residents. So again, you know, really interested in things like ensuring that we are doing health and wellness checks on our children that aren't regularly checking into school. You know, how can we develop ways of ensuring that they're not in vulnerable situations? How can we continue to develop opportunities to go after the food insecurity issues that we have in our communities? Again, that affects our children and kind of do the same thing for, you know, our older residents. How can we proactively get ahead of any foreclosure crisis that will be mounting in our city? We know that if we don't have strong communities, we can't have a strong city. And unfortunately, with the layoffs, with the firings, with the increase of unemployment, we know that that is a pressing issue um, for us all. And then lastly, we have to start addressing this uh, health disparities. I think the fact that when we look at, you know, trying to promote this idea around the vaccine to our residents and the fact that many people are still very skeptical of it is really a shame on just, you know, healthcare in general and the trauma that has been plagued on certain communities through healthcare. But no longer can that be an excuse. And I think that particularly in a city like Baltimore, when we came out of the unrest of 2015 through Freddie Gray, you know, there was a lot of talk and there was not a whole lot of action to go after the things that were just present in our face. Well, now is an opportunity for us not to miss. And it's really about going after and trying to address these challenges that have been in our communities for far too long. The Free to Be More podcast is a production of the Enoch Pratt Free Library. Get your high school diploma for free with the Pratt. Scholarships are available for career online high school. No internet, no problem. The Pratt will loan you a Wi-Fi enabled device to help you with your studies. More information at prattlibrary.org. There are so many organizations in Baltimore, like the libraries and the Parks and Rec and so many nonprofit organizations that are working towards goals like that. How do you look at the council as a place that can really unify those organizations into a common cause? Well, I mean, that's the beauty of particularly the library. The library is literally a melting pot for the city. You know, whether it's someone who's homeless or someone who lives in Guilford, whether it's an older person, a younger person, no matter what the age, the race, sexual orientation, the gender, no matter what it is, the library is a place for everyone. 
Right. So it's really interesting in the way that we kind of continue to expand the role of our libraries, which in many cases are central and core to our communities. But I see it as a huge opportunity for us to engage folks, to connect with folks, to check on folks and to provide services for folks. So we're kind of switching over. Finally, we'll be in 2021, beginning of 2021. What do you hope you will have accomplished as we're ringing in the new year in 2022? So we just talked about our first piece of legislation of providing immediate aid and a legislative solution for our restaurants of, you know, looking at the practices of third party delivery services and trying to reduce the fees, the onerous fees on our restaurants. Again, that was something that was driven by data. I'm going to constantly talk about data and evidence-based solutions, but we know that we have these problems that persist in our communities. You know, what data are we utilizing uh, to kind of go after and tackle? So if I'm excited come 2022 when we have our next meetup, Megan, I'll be excited about talking about legislation that we were able to pass, that we're able to substantively go after concerns and challenges in our city through data and not just through emotion. You talk about this data-based approach. Do you feel like the rest of the council is really on board with that? <laughs> well, Megan, I've talked about it for so long. Can you imagine that no one is? Now, I mean, I think that when you take a step back and you, you think about exactly what I'm saying, that say, like, let's utilize data to drive the best results in a situation where we have scarcity of resources. We're not some of these other municipalities that just has these, like, comfy projections associated with our coffers. Like we know the challenges of Baltimore City prior to COVID, and we know that they're even worse now. So I think it's just common logic to understand that you have to be based on data and science to drive the best product when we're talking about our finances. Um, it's no way that we would operate individually, our own households. There's no organization or corporation that functions this way. And no longer should the legislative body of the city council operate that way. When we are proposing legislation, when we're passing legislation, we need to be honest to our residents that it's based off of sound data, that it's based off of a fiscal oversight, and that is responsible for going after and tackling the challenges of our constituents. And I think from talking with the other 14 members of the council, that they understand that vision and that they're very supportive. I think it's reflective in the organizational realignment that we've placed on the council, and it will be reflective in the personnel that we bring on to the council to, again, provide more transparency and accessibility to um, the projections of where our legislation is going to take the city. As you're restructuring your office, the mayor's also restructured hiring a city administrator. So how do you envision collaborating with both the mayor and this new position of city administrator? Well, the kind of role and responsibility is a little murky right now. You know, the mayor just announced it last week. Look forward to kind of sitting down and meeting um, kind of Mr. Shorter and also kind of sitting down and talking to the mayor to kind of understand his vision. I kind of see maybe Mr. Shorter as a conduit between, you know, constituent services that pop up on the council to the agencies. So the model that we have here is slightly different than, I guess, the expectation Many people thought we were going after more of like a city manager type of role. I know that the mayor constantly talks about going down to Texas and kind of viewing and, and supporting, you know, the model he, he saw down in Texas. This is slightly different, but I look forward to working with the city administrator. I look forward to supporting 
on the mayor and his plan that he's putting in place of structuring his organization. Uh, and, um, you know, I'm excited. As we go into a new year with new leadership in the city, what brings you hope going into 2021? Stability. Mm-hmm. Stability, stability, stability. So, you know, our city has seen five police commissioners in, what, five years? Mm-hmm. We've seen, uh, what, three mayors in five years? We need stability, right? This is a time where we have so much new, fresh, passionate energy that we need to like collectively come together. So again, you know, I, I would say stability, and then I'm kind of ending with, you know, us being partners in progress, us working together, us working hand to hand. You know, I'm not going to always agree with everything the mayor wants to do or is doing, mm-hmm. and the mayor is not going to always agree with things that I want to do or I'm doing, but. What we can agree to is develop a very productive and professional environment where both branches of government can work together and we don't kind of emulate what we see currently in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. or quite frankly, what we've always seen in Baltimore City. So I look forward to working with Mayor Brandon Scott hand in hand, as well as our Comptroller Bill Henry. I think the problems are too severe for us not to. And I think that that extends beyond City Hall. I think that extends to the business community. It extends to our residents and community leaders. It extends to our faith-based folks. I think now is the time for us to all get around the table, understand what are the low-hanging fruit, what are the long poles in the the tent, develop actual plans, strategize on those plans, and execute. Uh, And that's what I know that the mayor is willing to do. I've had several in-depth conversations with him about that, as well as with the Comptroller and Bill Henry. And again, stability and just us working together in a collaborative spirit. Well, I look forward to this conversation in 2022 to see all that's been accomplished. Council President Nick Mosby, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Megan. I look forward to you holding me accountable. And you, <laughs> when you bring me on, you're going to say, Nick, you told us you guys are going to do substantive legislation. Where's your scorecard? <laughs> it's a deal. All right. I like that. <laughs> thank you. Need help coping with COVID? The Pratt Library has an on-staff social worker. Virtual drop-ins available Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. Get the help you need for free at prattlibrary.org. I'm Megan McCorkle, and you've been listening to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. You can follow The Pratt on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next month for another free-to-be-more conversation. Thanks for listening.